0: Bags, how long do you think it would take us to run thirty-two hundred miles combined, the both of us, in an effort to run across the country? How long do you think it'd take us to do? Um, couldn't happen. We'd both drop dead. <laughs> We'd tap out before we even got there.
1: Oh, there's. I mean, there's no question. We, you and I, would get tired uh, flying across the country. I, I mean, there's no. Come on, this isn't even close.
0: Zero. Dead. We're dead. It's a good point. I do think like, boy, flight to Los Angeles, five and a half hours. It's a long time to be cramped.
1: No, I mean, I I lived in Montana for a year. I drove there when I moved there. No, no. It's a nice country. It's better to just
0: fly over it. All right. So why do I ask the stupid question? Because our guest today ran across the country from the Pacific Ocean, literally feet in the Pacific Ocean to feet in the Atlantic Ocean in fewer than three months. He averaged something like 46 miles a day. And obviously, that's an average. Some days were much more. Some days were a little bit less than that. I mean, it's absolutely insane what our guest today was able to accomplish five years ago. And this is the five-year anniversary of Sean Evans and Power to Push through Ainsley's Angels, run across america uh, he started 5 years ago today bags so keeping in mind that a marathon
1: okay is 26 miles right yeah. and this yep. guy averaged
0: how many a day in
1: 40 yeah.
0: yeah come on crazy i know Whoa. so we thought it be really cool, cool like we're human Yes, let's relive some of that. Um, We've talked with Sean Evans a bunch in the past about like, how many pairs of sneakers did he go through? How many calories was he consuming? When you're in the middle of nowhere, Iowa, where the heck are you finding a spot to go to the bathroom? All those types of stupid things, and yet so many great things he did along the way while running from Seattle to New York City. Let's bring Sean into the conversation here. Sean, it's so good to see you, man. How are you? Hey, awesome. Good morning, guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Look, we when I reached out to you, I said, you know, I can't believe it's been five years. We covered it so extensively on News Channel 13, Ashley Miller especially. Um, and so I thought, you know, it'd be kind of fun to, to relive this a little bit with you and, and get your thoughts on the fact that it's already been five years since you and your family, Seamus, Simon, Nicole, left the Puget Sound in the Pacific Ocean, w- what do you remember most about maybe this day, particularly five years ago? Oh, it was
2: it was the lead up to this day too. Um, Nicole had flown out a couple of days in advance to go get the RV that we purchased sight unseen on the West Coast. She flew to Pasco, Washington, and then drove five hours to Seattle. And then the boys and I flew out uh, on the first of July, and then the, the next couple of days were just a whirlwind of packing the RV and getting it organized and uh, meeting with some of our sponsors out there uh, getting Seamus's chair that we would be using we didn't get it until uh, the day before we actually started running uh, the chair that I pushed him in and then um, on July 3rd uh, three o'clock in the afternoon pacific time Seamus took his first few steps out of Puget Sound and uh, we did our first ceremonial 5k run and then set off on a 56 mile run the next day On the 4th of July, uh, when we ran from Seattle to Gold Bar, it was our first stop.
1: How do you prepare your body for something that it seems like the human body shouldn't be able to do? I mean, people train for months for a marathon. How do you train yourself to run more than a marathon every day?
2: it was you know i was i've been thinking about that because i get up every morning and, and i still run every day i get up at you know 5 or five thirty and run seven to ten miles before work but when i was training for the run across america i would get up at 4 a.m and run a marathon on the treadmill every single day almost before work and i knew that's the kind of commitment it was going to take to cover the the miles that we would have to do so that we could finish our two month journey during the course of the boys summer vacation from school. It was, it was crazy. And, and thinking back on it, you know, it's almost like a dream. I don't, I don't know how I was doing it, but I, you know, with in- Seamus's inspiration, you know, he was the one getting me out of bed every morning in my mind to, to get downstairs and run on the treadmill. And then, and then a lot of days I would run another five to 10 miles on my lunch break. And then as we got closer and closer to the journey, I'd get home and I'd run another, you know, 13 to 15 miles. And I, a lot of that was training during the, you know, the Northeast winter here in upstate New York. So it was a challenge, but um, with the right inspiration, I guess anything
0: is is possible. And you said it, Seamus was the inspiration. This was, was his idea, right? I think with a little bit of help from his brother, Simon, hey, let's run across the country. And for people who don't know, and if you're not in the capital region of New York, um, Sean and, and his family live in Galway. Uh, Seamus has cerebral palsy. And so while we talk about Sean running 46 miles a day bags, certainly a good part of that was, I'll say pushing, but Sean, I know you'll use the word pulling, pushing Seamus in the running chair. And I know, Sean, I've heard you say many times that Seamus was the one pulling you.
2: Oh man, without a doubt. Without Seamus, the the mission would not have happened. It, It was never a dream of mine to run across America. Never something I even thought, physically or humanly possible for our family to do um but Seamus persisted in in wanting to do it and the thing that kind of sold Nicole and I in, in in trying to make the mission happen in the first place was when Seamus asked if when we ran across America it was never a question in his mind he said when we run across America can we donate chairs to kids like me so that they can feel what it's like to go fast and that's when Nicole and I Realized that we had to had to try and make it happen, and so it wasn't only Seamus pulling me; it was all those kids along the way that we were donating chairs to, uh, that kept me inspired and, and kept me plugging forward one step at a time, you know, through the Rocky Mountains and beyond.
1: Did anybody caution you not to do it? Like, did a doctor or anybody say, Sean, man, look, this is a it's a great idea, it's a great mission, it's a great cause. But it's just not healthy for you to do this. We heard that, you know, and I did consult with
2: a lot of doctors and nutritionists beforehand. I, you know, I went to my uh, personal doctor and had all kinds of blood work done and went through all kinds of, um, you know, testing and stuff just to make sure that it was safe for me to, to attempt it. And I think the biggest thing that the concern for people was that was the time frame that we were trying to do it in, you know, just two months so that the boys wouldn't miss school and so that I could get back to work. Um, You know in consulting with the doctor and in consulting with the nutritionist we felt like we had a plan that we could at least attempt Um, but we did have a lot of you know friends and family saying that sean you're crazy you know it's not safe it's stupid you know and we had to kind of distance ourselves from the people that weren't believing in what we were doing and surrounding ourselves with the the people that thought wow what a cool idea go for it you know and that that kind of became our mantra surround yourself with positive people and anything is possible
0: and since then, you've run the length of the Mississippi River. Another idea of Seamus's, right. And I know you have uh, more plans in the works that uh, that we'll get to here. Um, at what point, Sean, was there ever? Like, are you running through, I don't know, Sean mentioned, Bags mentioned Montana. Did you go through Montana? Are you running through the Rockies? Are you running through Iowa? I know you can see the Field of Dreams, which is really cool. Did you ever think like, I've got this RV trailing me. You know what? we've done a lot of good here. I think it might just be time to say enough's enough.
2: You know, <laughs> we, um, Seamus set out with a goal in mind to, to get from coast to coast, um, to run from coast to coast and start with his toes in one ocean and, and end with his toes in the other. And really that became um, all we focused on for really two years leading up to the journey and then and then the the summer itself so we really wanted to uh to do it the right way um and and you know there was there were a couple days when nicole pulled me off the road for a quarter of a mile or a mile when it just wasn't safe for me to run up a mountain pass or something and then i would often run around the campground that evening just to make myself (laughs) feel better and i know it doesn't really matter in the long run and we were doing a lot of good work um but I felt like I wanted to, at that point. I wanted to see if my body really could tolerate those thirty-two hundred miles in sixty and fifty-nine days or whatever it ended up being.
0: Yeah, that's right. I said fewer than three months. It was fewer than two months from July third. Yeah. until you guys got to Pelham Bay in New York on September first, and then and then got to even go to a Mets game, bags.
1: So when I talk to people who are on a marathon, for instance, a lot of times they'll tell you. Look, the physical aspect of it was one thing, but it's really about having the mental preparation and then you know, fo- having things to focus on or think about while you're on this long run. I know you had your inspiration, obviously, but you know, I, I would imagine that can only take you so far. Like, what do you what do you think about all day when all you're doing is running, step after step after step? How do you stay in it? mentally, even if your body is able to do it somehow.
2: Yeah. And often I was relying more on the mental component than my body, just as my body fatigued, you know, there were days where we were on the road. I was, I was running for 10, 12, 14 hours. And, um, I was relying more on the mental component than the physical. And I think as I went through the training, it was the mental preparation, just as much as the physical, um, being able to endure all those miles. And the hardest days were the days that I ran alone for most of the day. Uh, if You know, if the roads weren't conducive to Seamus joining me, I went out and I was on my own. Um, and in the beginning, we were running, you know, 15, 20 miles at a pop before I would even meet up with the RV. And we realized that there was no reason to do it that way. And we switched it up so that I was stopping every five miles. If Nicole could find a parking spot with the RV, she would stop every five miles. I would get in, I would rehydrate you know, sit down for a minute and, and try not to take too long, but at least five miles at a time, it was a lot more easy to process the mental component of it. And uh that's how we made our way across America, really five miles at a time.
0: It's incredible. And so do any of these numbers are are they jarring to you the way they are to us, Sean, when you hear thirty two hundred miles in in fewer than two months? Uh, 46 miles a day. Is any of this now come washing back over you? Like, man, I can't believe that actually happened.
2: Oh, all the time. And as I train now, I can't even, you know, fathom how I was training as many miles as I was. And, uh, again, it feels like if I didn't do it, if I hadn't experienced it, um, I don't know if I would believe it was possible. And I know there were, you know, there, there were a lot of doubters out there in the beginning, you know, wondering if we could do it. Um, but doing it one step at a time and making our way coast to coast. And what a way to see America. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, it was a testament to, to Seamus and really showing that with the right inspiration, with the right belief, with the right training, um, anything really was possible. And we proved it that summer. And, and I think that's been a, an important thing for our family, you know, going forward. It's just that, you know, whatever we can set our minds to, we can accomplish it, you know, it might take might take some preparation and some practice and some commitment. Um, but that's it's been a great lesson for for all of us, and, you know, myself included. And I think that
0: Seamus has been really the the leader in, in teaching us all that. Well, I know you're gonna to get to the Boston Marathon a few years from now. Uh, some shout-outs here on Facebook, Dennis Fillmore, Together We Shall. I know that is such a, a rallying cry, certainly for Power to Push and Ainsley's Angels. Uh, our buddy dave spears saying hello here uh nancy peters driscoll about you guys here a great thing to say and yes two wonderful sons you guys have and then our ashley miller who covered the story extensively on news channel 13 uh, of course watching this morning here too saying how inspirational uh all you guys are as a family here uh in the capital region so sean on your on your run um you donate 20 running chairs, right? I think across 15 different states are the numbers that that we had back in our stories. Um, what was it like knowing, because we, look, we all obsess over the number of miles you logged a day and we'll get to how many calories you had to consume daily in order to, to pull this off too. Um, but as you're delivering these running chairs to kids who are just like Seamus, what are the emotions that are going through you?
2: Oh, I mean, that's... Those are the memories that that really stay with me after the summer, you know, after all we saw and all we did and and the the countryside that we got to see and the people that we got to meet are really what sticks with me uh, was the the chair recipients. And and those are the the memories that we'll carry with us as much as anything, if not more. Um, And it it ended up being actually 35 chairs. Seamus had a goal initially to donate one chair in every state Um, and we did run through 15. So our goal was to donate 15 chairs uh, we ended up donating thirty-five chairs and um yeah, those those kids, you know, kind of following their stories and what some of them have gone on to do um has has, has been great. It's it's they've had opportunities to do things they might not otherwise have had to do, all because of, of Seamus wanting to pay forward what Ainsley's Angels gave to us in the form of a freedom running chair in 2013.
1: That's awesome. What was what was your what was the best day of the trip and then also what was the worst day of the trip right like was there one yeah I'll start, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll,
2: I'll start with uh, the worst day because that's a, a really um, common question that we get asked and uh, it's, it's easy to remember it was day six it was uh, we just finished running across the state of Washington so in in five days we had run I don't know. I I can't remember how many miles it was, but we run from Seattle to Spokane and uh, the day started great. We did an on air live uh, morning show uh, chair presentation to a local family from Spokane, which was awesome. But in doing that, we started our day a lot later than we typically would. Typically we would start at sunrise and that day we didn't start running until uh, probably 10 or maybe even 11 o'clock by the time we finally got on the road. Um, But that, you know, we understood that was part of it you know the important thing was that we were doing the chairs we were spreading the mission we were promoting inclusion and all that so that it started great um but the late start uh meant we were running in in hotter weather um i ended up meeting with a friend meeting up with a friend from high school who wanted to run with us but he couldn't keep the pace that we needed to keep to meet up with our media contacts so that put us behind schedule a little further when we finally did get to the rv that day Nicole was there waiting with some media people that wanted to interview Seamus and I, and she had had them in the RV. And while they were in the RV, one of them happened to bump into the RV stove, um, turning on the propane. And Nicole didn't realize that the propane was on until she was getting a migraine. So she evacuated the RV, you know, sorted it out, opened up the vents and everything. Um, but that kind of toasted her for the rest of the day She because she was trying to recover from that. Um, Seamus needed a break because he was on the morning run with me and all the hot miles. So Simon decided to hop in the chair for a little bit and spend some time with dad, which was great. Um, and I realized as soon as he got in the chair that I left my cell phone in the RV, I hadn't forgotten my cell phone at all that, that summer, but that day I did, but we were running just on a bike path to meet up with the RV again. And it was only four miles, four miles down a bike path. And then we would rendezvous with the RV again. And then we were supposed to meet up with another family to run. And i figured how can we get lost on a bike path well murphy's law we got lost because i took a wrong turn onto a different bike path we ended up running i think 15 miles out of our way and didn't find our way back to the rv until we met up with a little boy who was riding his bike and i said is this the centennial trail and he said no but i'll take you there (laughs) so he was on his bike and he must have been about 10 years old and he led us you know rode his bike and led us to the trail that we needed to be on we finally got back to the rv now we're even further behind. Nicole was frantic because she didn't know where we were and did, had no way to get in touch with us. We ended up finishing the day's miles finally. I, I ended up finishing the day alone just to try and get everything done because we had a family that had was putting on a barbecue for us that night. And um, so we drive to the campground just to get cleaned up and stuff. And we pull into the campground and it was closed. And not only was it closed for the day, but it, I mean, it was permanently closed. <laughs> Nicole had booked the campground months in advance and, um, it was closed. They, you know, we, we never had any communication telling us that. So we were frantic trying to find a new place to stay, which we did. Um, and, uh, you know, it was a few miles down the road, no big deal. And we, you know, after multiple phone calls, we found, found the, the campground to stay at. And we were just exhausted, um, but but needed to get to this barbecue that night. But meanwhile, amongst the chaos and Nicole having the migraine and uh, Seamus being really tired from the heat and Simon rolling those miles with me, Seamus really hadn't eaten more than just a little bit of a snack that day. So Simon goes, little brother, wanting to help out. He goes, oh, I'll make him a sandwich. So he went to uh, slice some cheese and he ended up cutting up, cutting into his thumb um, really deep and he was ble- bleeding all over the place. And um, the sight of the blood ended up triggering him to get sick to his stomach. He ended up fainting. And it, you know, that kind of, that series of events kind of went on for a little while until we got everything squared away. And I bandaged him up and Seamus finally got something to eat. We make it to the barbecue finally. And it was a great meal. You know, they. They had even prepared veggie burgers for me. They knew I was a vegetarian. It was really nice. They had gone out of their way and done a great thing. They had told us about this water park nearby that they thought the boys would like. And we said, oh, that sounds like a great way to kind of end this day. Um, as we're pulling out of the off the, the, the road to, to head to that water park, we hear this big bang crash. And um, we had no idea what it was. And then we realized that uh, Nicole had left the vent caps of the RV open after she had aired it out from the propane leak and they had just shattered. (laughs) So uh, that was our first damage to the RV. So anyway, that was day six. (laughs) But the important thing about that day was when we got, you know, we had a great time at the water park. Uh, I kind of, you know, cob jobs patched up the ceiling so that it wouldn't leak that night if it rained until we could get to a place to repair the vent covers the next day. But as we're sitting around the dinner table um, that night, kind of talking about the day and just lamenting and everything that went wrong, Seamus pipes in. He goes, yeah, but dad, we got to present a chair live on TV. And you got to meet up with a, a friend from high school that you hadn't seen in 20 years. And we crossed our first state line. We made it to Idaho. And, you know, just on, he started to list all the positive things. He goes, you met that little boy that helped you. And we had a barbecue. and We got to go to the water park. And he was right. And so that happening on day six kind of changed our perspective for the rest of the journey. Because whatever was going wrong, I mean, we were on an epic mission. And um, we really savored every day forward and really cherished all the, the, the little moments. But for that to come, you know, Seamus was nine at the time. And just for him to have that positive, optimistic outlook it was just such a lesson for all of us um, and you know And then some of the highlights for positive days you had asked about the good days uh, people ask us what our favorite state was and they're always surprised when we say Iowa and um, obviously there's not a lot to see <laughs> in Iowa but the people there just bent over backwards to make us feel welcome and uh really really made it special for us in the smallest towns that you've never heard of every single person in the town would come out and they'd throw a parade for us and welcome us to their town and they'd have fire trucks and welcome banners and signs and um you know they'd treat us to a meal and it was just so amazing they were so happy to have us coming through to be part of their community for a short time and then they had set up Special opportunities for us at Feel the Dreams, knowing that our family is, uh, you know, baseball fans and um, Feel the Dreams that day itself was just a really special day because not only did we have Field the Dreams, um, we went and met up with a, a running group from Iowa and we had, you know, it's, you picture those scenes from Forrest Gump where Forrest has all the people just kind of joining in and running with him well that's what it was like that day after field of dreams we went and finished our miles and for the last 20 miles we just had more and more and more people joining us uh for the for the final stretch that day it's was, it was just incredible incredible memories and so when we um decided that we were going to run down the mississippi river um a few years later or a couple years later uh we decided that we knew that we needed to run through or near dubuque because that's where um all these people had just rallied for us so we got to meet up with the same people a couple years later and these people had been strangers to us they had just heard about our mission and wanted to be part of it and wondered um what they could do to support us uh and it was phenomenal to see them again and to have their support once again It was just really really special
0: we're getting some great reactions here on Facebook Sean uh, Jeff I think put it perfectly. leave it to a kid to keep everything in perspective. incredible story as adults uh, we're uh, we're jaded enough to find the negative things that that go wrong and and tend to harp on those and and Jill and then we ran 15 miles out of the way. yeah. So should we be saying instead of the 3,205, is that the number now we really should be counting?
2: <laughs> yeah, I guess. I guess, you know, and I and I never really dwelled on how many miles we were covering. Um, we were just trying to savor the miles. And, and I know I said it before, but what a way for our family to see America, for, for Seamus to come up with this mission and for us to see places that we would never have otherwise even knew known existed. Um, and then we really do live in a beautiful country and, uh, for us to witness it from coast to coast, you know, at eight, eight to ten miles an hour, twelve miles an hour max, you know, we uh, what a way to see our country, and it was uh, unforgettable.
0: I know you ran through the blazing heat. You ran through rain, obviously. Um, but the one thing that that I've been hung up on for all these years, and we've talked on the radio about this plenty, um, the number of calories you would consume daily just to, I mean, you're not going to put on weight given the fact that you're running as many miles as you are just to maintain and to give you the energy you need. How many, how many calories were you putting in your body every day, Sean?
2: Yeah. So we had, I had no idea what to expect as far as it, uh, the nutrition component of it. And we worked with a, a doctoral nutrition student who actually used me as her um, doctoral thesis um, as she put together my nutrition program, which was kind of cool. Um, it was somebody I had met at a marathon years prior and had had her contact information, knew, knew she was involved in nutrition and she and I worked closely and I told her, you know, how much weight I would be pushing every single day and what the terrain that we were going to be running through was like and running at altitude and running through the Rocky mountains and all that. And she, um, came up with a number of, I think, 12,000 calories a day. Um, it, it's hard to even imagine how much, Nutrition that is to actually intake and my mouth would get sore from trying to eat enough to hit those calories Um, so what Nicole would try to do is just make me these super dense calorie um, rich shakes Uh, I don't know everything that she put in it but you know she'd put like a whole avocado and coconut oil and almond milk and all kinds of fruits and vegetables and things and just mix them in a blender and that would be my my lunchtime meal um, before we started the day, I would usually not eat a lot. It's hard to eat a lot and run with a full stomach. So I would eat like a bagel and banana and some peanut butter. Um, Lara Bar was one of our sponsors. So I had a, a plenty of those to eat along the way. Um, and then after I would finish the day's miles, I would just basically eat from the time that we stopped until I fell asleep. And that's, and that was a lot of pasta or you know grains and things like that. And then uh, we'd re- repeat that day after day after day. And, uh, you know, sometimes it got to the point where my stomach was feeling sick the next morning and it made it hard to run. Um, it was a challenge. It was, and uh, it, it was one of the things that we knew was going to be a problem. So leading up to it, Memorial Day weekend, I had like a five-day stretch off from work with, uh, you know, the three-day weekend of the holiday. And I took a couple extra days off so kind of to test one the mileage and two the distance or the, the nutrition um i spent those five days running 50 to 60 miles a day because i knew that's what we would be doing over the summer and nicole spent those five days trying to figure out how to keep me fed and hydrated and we came up that's when we came up with our plan and really for the most part it worked i started the journey at 140 pounds and on uh, september 1st when we finished in the bronx I weighed myself in and I weighed 140 pounds. So I that's all a testament to Nicole and how hard she worked at it. And what we, we I would actually weigh myself several times a day to see how much I was losing in hydration or you know, body mass, how much I was burning off. And um, the hydrate hydration piece of it was equally challenging. I would people would donate us cases of water, which was great, you know, a lot of water bottles, but they would just donate cases and cases of water and I would drink. Two cases a day, and I didn't even know that it was humanly possible to to drink that much water in a day. But as you're sweating and you know running in hundred degree temperatures, a lot of times we were. Um, that's how much I was consuming. It was just incredible. It, uh, it's incredible to see what the human body can accomplish, what it is capable of.
1: So you didn't have one day when you just felt too like just sick or whatever. Just not one day where you said, "My body's not doing it today." You you got up and went every day.
0: We
2: ran. We never took a day off. We ran uh, sixty consecutive days, an average of fifty six miles a day. And uh, yeah, there were days where I wasn't feeling it, and there were days where I started started the day walking. You know, I, I would just walk until I I felt like I could do it. And there were days where um, there was one particular day we were running from. Sioux Falls, South Dakota, to uh, Worthington, Minnesota. I think it was one of our only stops. I think it was our only stop in Minnesota that year. And um, we had a chair presentation at 3 o'clock. And I, I, I always liked to be on time. And, and again, like Chris said, you, know, you have the RV there. I never wanted to consider the RV as an option. I wanted to make it on time. And I started that day literally vomiting on the side of the road, just not feeling well and um, just kind of just plugging away at miles the best I could Seamus was with me for the morning and I was just leaning on the chair, letting him carry me, you know, as as much as he could. Um, but I really wanted to, to make it to the, to Tori Tori was the, the chair recipient that day. And, um, as the day went on, I started to feel better and I started to feel better and, um, you know, just forcing my body to do it. And that's where we get to that mental component, you know, just mind over matter. And, you know my my muscles knew what to do I had trained so diligently you know just relying on muscle memory and, and willing yourself with your mind to do it um, we got to the final 13 miles that day and we were supposed to have a police escort into Worthington to the to the chair presentation for Tory which was really special that the, the, the recipient family had set it all up for us we were going to meet at a, a park um, so I was looking at my watch and, and looking at the time and trying to figure out, Okay, how fast do I have to run this last, you know, 13 miles, a half marathon to get to the finish? And it, we had like an hour and 25 minutes, and I thought, oh, wow, that's, that's pretty fast. You know, I, I had done it before, but I had never pushed Seamus for a half marathon, but we wanted him to be with me for those last 13 miles. So um, put him in the chair and, and uh, basically leaned on him for those 13 miles, and it, was, it seemed like it was all uphill. And we, and Seamus and I kept saying to each other, "Well, we're almost to the top. We're going to reach the top." And it's and it felt like the top of that hill never came. So we ran 13 miles uphill the whole way with a police escort leading us, stopping every five miles. But the, the stops were real quick because we knew we wanted to make it at three o'clock. That's when they were expecting us. And uh, we get real close to the finish, and there was uh, uh, one of those speedometer signs on the side of the road that tells you how fast you're driving, you know, kind of like a speed limit thing. And so I, I just kept our pace going and a and, uh, 12 flashes up. So we were running 12 miles per hour, per hour, which is a five minute mile. And we carried that through to the finish. I looked at my watch when we finished and it was 2 uh, 2.59. And and I was just, <laughs> it was one of those things, you know, that was the mental trick that I needed to play that day to get Corey her chair, you know, and uh, to propel me those last 13 miles. And we, uh, that day we ran, I think 52 miles. And like, you know, like I said, it started on a, a horrible note, just feeling sick and, and uh, forcing myself to keep going. And uh, Tori is kind of a neat story because we, we donated her chair that day. And, and later that fall uh, for homecoming, her cross country team Pushed her in that chair to the rival school. And I forget how many miles it was like 15 miles or something. They pushed her. And then at the homecoming dance, she was crowned homecoming queen. You know, this is a, a child who was wheelchair bound, uh, but she was homecoming queen. And uh, that chair helped to make that experience for her possible. So just another great moment that came out of uh, Seamus wanting to pay it forward.
0: Bags. I mean, Sean is running all of these miles, and at the end of it, expected to perform interviews for the media, meet with families who want to talk to him about his day and his journey. I mean, at the end of all this, I, people, leave me alone. I'm going to sleep for the next 12 hours. 12 days. <laughs> <laughs>
2: But you know what? That was, we knew that that was part of it. We knew that we wanted to get the mission of Angel's Angels out there. We knew that we wanted to promote inclusion we knew we wanted to show people what is possible. We, you know, our, our one of our models that summer was dream big, anything is possible. And uh, we wanted to get that story out there. And uh, again, thanks to, to Ashley really is for spreading um, uh, our story across the nation so that it made it really easy for Nicole to find media contacts. And that was, I mean, You think I had, all I had to do was run every day. My wife took care of everything else. You know, she was feeding me. She was driving the RV, which she had never done before. She didn't know she had never driven, driven anything bigger than her Honda CRV at the time. So she had taken lessons to learn how to drive an RV and oh, by the way, tow a trailer loaded with the chairs that we were donating. So, and then she was coordinating, you know, our, our media, and she was coordinating with all of our campgrounds and coordinating all of the chair recipients. I mean, what what my wife, Nicole, did that summer is unbelievable. In addition to taking care of two young boys, you know, a nine and a seven-year-old, trying to keep them occupied and entertained when when one of them wasn't with me, it uh, it boggles my mind what she had to endure
1: that summer. So after all of it, right, the whole thing, all the prep, the entire run, you get to the finish line. Hmm. Describe for us if you can, what that felt like.
2: You know, it, it was really
1: odd. Um,
2: I, I didn't know what to expect. You know, I, we had been at this for all summer long. It was our routine, you know, get up, run, donate a chair, and, and just repeat and eat, you know, and sleep and, and, and have a lot of quality family time. And when we got to the beach uh, at, at Pelham Bay Orchard Beach at Pelham Bay in the Bronx. um, It was kind of surreal. It almost didn't feel like it was over yet. You know, it was all of a sudden we were done and it was upon us. Uh, Like I said, five miles at a time, you know, day after day after day, we made it all the way from Pacific to Atlantic. and, And then there we are with Seamus walking those final few steps into, uh, into Pelham Bay and uh, I still have a hard time wrapping my mind around it um, just because it was so surreal that we had actually done it and to be greeted by family and friends and um, you know obviously a lot of media and then to be welcomed to city field by the Mets that night and spend time on the players with the field and then for the players you know David Wright, and Michael Kadire and Curtis Granderson to stand on the field and talk with us and tell Seamus what an inspiration he was to them, you know, for them to know our story, to be talking about it and for them to say to, uh, you know, a nine-year-old boy that uses a wheelchair as his primary means of mobility, that he's their inspiration, you know, these professional athletes. um, I guess that's the thing that I'll remember most from that day, uh, you know, that surreal day. Really, like a dream.
0: People who may not know this story are probably thinking, why isn't this a book or a documentary or, heck, even a movie? Well, there's a book coming. And I know, Sean, we talked a few months ago on what would have been Marathon Monday, and you told us for the first time, sharing it publicly, that the the title of the book was going to be Better Together uh, and that you're hoping it's still – are we still on track for a release date – end of this year, pandemic, I know is throwing off everybody's kind of schedule at this point. Yeah, so the last uh, it's interesting, the last several weekends, I've been gathering up
2: old photos and, and uh, pictures from our Run across America and just sent all those down to the publisher this week that'll be included in uh, you know the, the center of the book, color photos of, of everything that, that we did. And, and then you know kind of our, our story leading up to that as well. Uh, so yeah, we're, we're still on pace. Uh, it's in the hands of the editor right now. Uh, I would say the end of this year, beginning of next year, um, you know, look for the, the book to be released, uh, better together. And, and kind of the story behind that title is, um, you know, prior to all of this, I was, a, I tried to be a competitive runner. I was a, a decent marathoner, um, with a goal of of uh, trying to make it to the Olympic trials, that was that was my ultimate goal. I never had any delusions that I was going to make it to the Olympics, but the Olympic trials would have been like the Olympics to me, and I, and I came up just short. I I uh, ended up running a two twenty six marathon, and to qualify for the Olympic trials, I would have had to run a two twenty two. Um, so that ultimate goal of mine had kind of come up. I came up short, um, and then Seamus. Right around the same time, he and I started running together. And, and he shortly after we literally after our second race, <laughs> he came up with the idea to run across America. And I realized, um, you know, there's a lot bigger things out there uh, than ever, ever, I could ever do on my own. And um, that up to that point, my running had been selfish for you no know, time away from my family. It was time training to reach my goal. And then I realized that there was so much more to it. And that really, indeed, it was so much better doing it together and doing it with my family and running with Seamus made it so much more special. And uh, that's kind of what the book—that is what the book is all about.
0: And you—you you started my there to say that you were, you know, an okay marathon. I mean, four minutes shy of the U.S. Olympic trial time uh, is is far from average, and. This is one thing we learned about you too on on the most recent what would have been Marathon Mondays that you ran the Boston Marathon eight straight years and that you improved your time every single year. You took us back to when you were a kid that you would go to the Boston Marathon with your dad, and now I know you have plans to run with Seamus when he's old enough uh, as an eighteen-year-old. How much are you looking forward to that day? Oh, the Boston Marathon is is so so special. Actually, I'm
2: just getting getting chills. Thinking about the crowd at the Boston Marathon, and uh, when I first ran a marathon, my goal was to qualify for Boston. And my first marathon, I didn't do it. And My second marathon, I did, and uh, then I ran, you know, Boston eight consecutive years after that, um, with a just with the idea of, of savoring that experience, every moment, start to finish, with you know. Literally a million spectators um, lining the streets from Hopkinton to Boston, um, and now looking forward to being able to experience that with Seamus in a few years when when he um, turns eighteen. That's that's their rule. Uh, rider rider athletes have to be eighteen. Um, it gives us something to look forward to, no doubt.
1: I just want to say, that <laughs> what you accomplished as impressive, if not more impressive, than winning Olympic gold. I mean, tell me what you think here, Chris. I mean, we, we appreciate the Olympics because it's about seeing people do things that just don't seem humanly possible, and we're impressed by the athletic feat. I mean, I would imagine there are Olympic athletes who can't do what you did. So for me, and I'm sure a lot of others out there, that's just as good, if not better, than Olympic gold.
2: Well, when we finished our run and, and I was uh, kind of coming to terms with it being over, you know, after, you know, that big lead up, you know, that two years of training and preparation and planning and logistics and fundraising, and then and then it was over. And, uh, you know, trying to put that in perspective and, and reflect upon it, one of the things that I remember thinking to myself, and I, and I still reflect on this, is, yeah, my goal was to train or to qualify for the Olympic trials, and uh, how many thousands of men and women have, have run in the Olympic trials, you know, in the 120 years or whatever, they've been running the Olympic marathon trials. And then, you know, how many people have pushed their child from coast to coast? You know, I think we're probably on a pretty short list. And, uh, again, there are a lot bigger dreams out there and it took a, you know, a seven-year-old boy to come up with that dream for me. Uh, it,
0: it's unfathomable. Well, even though we were back five years ago on this day when when you guys started with what was just a 5K uh, in the Seattle area, I know the mission hasn't stopped. Uh, Certainly the fundraising has not stopped with Ainsley's Angels. You've seen it pop up on your screen here, ainsleysangels.org. The running, I know still locally, Sean, for you and Seamus has not stopped. Uh, and and you'll take it to Boston in a few years, but I know there'll be a, there'll be there'll be events in between now and then that uh, that we'll want to cover. So this feels so pathetically short, bags of what we should be giving this man. But we're gonna we're gonna make sure Sean gets a t-shirt okay. and a mask, okay? Uh-huh. At the very least, and we're gonna give away a t-shirt and a mask uh, during this show uh, as well. So. Sean, I I can't tell you how much we appreciate you taking the time out here with a holiday weekend upon us uh, to hang out with us for a little bit. Oh,
2: thank you guys for your time and and for continuing to help spread our story and our mission. Uh, We we, we really appreciate it.
1: Please don't return to your home planet. We
0: really like it here on Earth. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I like it here, too. (laughs) (laughs) Sean Evans with us here. Sean, thank you so much, man. Take care. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Great stuff, uh, and and I learned a couple of things here too. Correcting my numbers: thirty-five chairs donated, fifty-six miles a day. Yeah,
1: you, you only you only uh, underplayed them by ten miles a day. Something <laughs> that would kill you
0: or me. Oh, forget it. Yeah. I mean, huh. well, John should have cert. I would I, I, either you wash it from your brain completely, right? Or it's so implanted in your memory that that you would remember those details, you know, down to obviously the the number even five years later.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. I think he would you would have those things ingrained. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure he gets nothing not gets tired of of talking about it. But, you know, five years on, how many times has he had to tell the, the same stories over and over and over um, so I really appreciate him coming on and doing it one more time for us, you know.
0: But I did, I did learn things there that I didn't already know, and it was your question: what was the worst day? And I think I had heard variations of day six, mm. uh, but not with that detail. I, I, that was, I mean, the the things that just snowballed on them that that one day, and then of course for Seamus to be like, yeah, but we crossed our first state line. Yeah, but we're on live TV. Yeah, but this, you know, it it again it's speaks. About-
1: you got a two two month journey here. You're in day six of this thing. <laughs> I'm, and I'm, 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 we're done. We are turning the RV around.
0: I mean, we, you, and I are done. <laughs> and I'm not driving home. Get me a plane ticket to the nearest airport. Yes. I'm on it tomorrow.
1: Yes, I, it's incredible. I mean, it, incredible isn't even a good enough word, right?
0: Yeah.
1: How. It, you know, it, it doesn't seem humanly possible. It really doesn't. And yet he did it. I mean, if that's not if that's not as inspirational as it gets, right? I and mean, I don't know what is. I and mean, that's that, if that doesn't tell you like what humanity is capable of, what people are capable of, if they set their mind to something and have a great plan and get their
0: body ready for something, I mean that, that is just so incredible to me. Well, I think you and I both are in this trainers will tell you all the time as they're yelling at you to do one more rep or one more whatever that the mind gives up before the body will. Right. You know, that really the body is capable of of more than we're mentally willing to accept. Before we go any further here bags, I want to just remind everybody, uh if you share this post, right? If you share this show on Facebook, you will be eligible to win a mask and a t-shirt. That's a good looking t-shirt. It really is. I thought you might be wearing it today. That's why I didn't put it on.
1: Oh, uh, no, I'm gonna, you know.
0: So share the show on Facebook to all your friends, uh, and we'll we'll put you in the pot to uh to win a t-shirt or a mask. And uh, and I'm gonna personally deliver a t-shirt and a mask to Sean for being on our on our show here uh this morning. Really, really cool. Really cool. Uh bags, let's look, we've got some sports. Yeah. So I got some 050 or hundreds here on our way out the door. Ooh, all right, let's do it. Uh, now, none of these are baseball related. So let's let's take care of the baseball business at hand. Today is the day that all major league teams are going through what might be their first workouts. Now, they can't all be in the stadium at the same time, but everybody on that 60 player pool roster will take part in some kind of team workout today. They've since reported they did a couple days ago. They've been tested all this good stuff. So we may figure out uh, if there are any positive tests uh, results in the next few days here, but that's where baseball stands still targeting July 23rd as opening day confidence that it'll happen bags.
1: Well, I saw Buster only not
0: too confident. Yeah. Um, no. Okay. Um, Me neither. It feels a little too daunting with all the travel that would be involved. All right, let's get on to some 50 or 100s here. 50 or 100, Shawnee, now is the time for the Redskins to change their name. FedEx, which is the title sponsor of the stadium and the Washington Redskins, uh, is saying, okay, enough's enough. Washington football franchise. Time to get a new nickname.
1: Uh, I'm going to say... I'm going to say 50 on this. It is it is the right time if there was ever a time. Um, I, I think we – look, it's easy to say when you're not the person who might be offended by something. But I also think we need to be a little less offended by things like team names.
0: Yeah, I'm going to go 100 here. Just because you, I what you said off the top, if there's ever a time to do it, let's just do it now, right? Um, and I saw Sports Center put up a graphic and it was just ill placed for, for me anyway. The number of teams that have changed their nickname without changing cities in the last 25 years mm-hmm. none of them were offensive. It was like you know, the Hornets became the Pelicans, yeah, uh, the, the Bobcats became the Hornets. What so. The one that was controversial was the was Washington Washington basketball team. They were the Bullets, right? Okay, then they became the Wizards. Okay, I remember that being a big deal. We got to change this nickname because it obviously you know is viewed as violent. So we're changing the Bullets to the Wizards. Okay, but none of the other examples stand up to something like the Redskins. Uh, I could certainly see the Braves and the Florida State chant going away. Um, yeah. Daniel Snyder, the owner of the Redskins, here has locked in, dug his heels in yeah. for a long time. And the way I feel, although I think yes, okay, time to change the nickname. I don't think Snyder does it, bags, and and I don't think he has a problem finding another title sponsor who's willing to sign on with an NFL team.
1: Agreed. Yep, I agree, hundred percent. And yeah, again, it's easy to say when you're not the one who could potentially be offended. But I think a lot of times we see people who aren't really offended, who are just looking to, you know, make some noise also. So that's kind of why I'm on the fence with it. It doesn't really bother me.
0: But again, who am I? I'm just some white guy. Yeah, you are. 0-50 uh, or 100, Giannis Antetokounmpo is right. He said this will be the toughest NBA title to win. Zero. Um, first of all,
1: whatever problems teams are going through, they're all going through it. Um, But arguably it could be easier if somebody like LeBron James gets coronavirus and you're Giannis and you're playing the Lakers in the championship. Um, I I don't think it'll be the toughest because I don't think guys ultimately are taking it as serious as they would otherwise. Now when we get into it, maybe that changes, but I think right now there, there are Too many question marks about it, too many concerns. Uh, It doesn't feel like it has the real oomph that a normal playoff push would. So I'm going to zero on this.
0: And I think you and I are both in the same camp that we don't even believe it will come all the way to the NBA Finals, right, given everything that's happening in Orlando. By the way, how stupid is the NBA to suggest we're going to do a second bubble with the eight teams that aren't even in contention? What are you doing? No. During the time of pandemic, everybody stay home. If you're not in the playoffs – Stay home. Don't try. To- starting to look like the worst spot,
1: right? Orlando's starting to look
0: like the worst spot for this too. So, yeah. um, I'm I'm a I'm a fifty here because there there are factors at play that no NBA team has ever dealt with before and and none will presumably ever again. Um And but they're I- all dealing with it, right? Yes, they are. But, you know, you're talking about guys who have been off the court for three months now, more than that, four months. Um, How are they – have they been staying in shape? Are they able to overcome this downtime here and ramp it up for immediate intense competition, right? This isn't October or November of the regular season where you can ease a few weeks into it. It's like it's go from the moment you throw the ball up. But if you're um, Giannis and you have
1: been staying
0: ready and now you're going against guys who maybe haven't been, then isn't it yeah, easier? It goes a little bit easier. Sure. sure. And obviously you and I have talked a bunch about this. No home court advantage, obviously, without crowd involvement. I think that maybe levels the playing field a little bit there and and potentially right makes it more difficult to win a title. But but the best teams are still the best teams, in my opinion, wherever you play the game. And so I think the Bucs are a heavy favorite in the East. I would make the Clippers my favorite in the West. But I know ESPN's BPI has the Lakers and Bucks meeting up in the NBA Finals. All right, here's the last one. 50 or 100. The Patriots should be the favorites in the AFC. This is, of course, coming off the Cam Newton signing. I'm going to say 0 I,
1: I might still have them as the favorites in that division, but what have I always said? You got Brady, you got Belichick, you got to make them your favorites. Well, that's not the case anymore. And, look, last year they had both of them, and they didn't win the Super Bowl, right? So, no, there are other teams out there that right now are ahead of the Patriots in the AFC. Right now my favorites would probably be the Chiefs.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. This is a zero for me. One, because I believe the Chiefs are the best team in the AFC. Uh, but two, because I'm not as sold on Cam Newton being the starting quarterback for the New England Patriots as, as seemingly the rest of America. And I'm not telling you that Jarrett Stidham's going to be the guy who lights the, lights the world on fire. But my belief has been for a while, and Sean, you and I have talked about this, if you are able to restrict Cam Newton to the pocket I don't believe he's a very effective quarterback. Now, now, if he's healthy and he's mobile, one, he's incredibly difficult to bring down the way like a Ben Roethlisberger is in the pocket, but two, his athleticism just opens up an offense for a Josh McDaniels with the Patriots. But that said, my level of confidence is that Newton will stay healthy. And by the way, he's still said to be recovering from that foot surgery. My level of confidence that he'll stay healthy is somewhere between 0 and 50, honestly. So I think you're going to see more Stidham than a lot of people are, are figuring at this point, and that, of course, is all given that we even get an NFL season. So give me the Chiefs, and I would even, probably even put one or two more teams on top of the Patriots in terms of the conference overall. But, but yes, I will I will do the logical thing here and say they should still win the AFC East.
1: Right. Here's the thing for me about Newton. Um, He's an MVP caliber talent if you're getting the best out of him. And health is one thing. So I'll say it this way. If he's healthy, Belichick is the guy who can get the best out of people, right? So if he's healthy and Belichick does that and we get the best we can out of Cam Newton, then I would say look out
0: and expect New England to go far with Newton under center. Shawnee, this week we had uh, a marathoner and philanthropist on the show. Um, Some really good conversation. Next week, we are going to meet up with a boxing champ. Oh, yeah. To see if he will ring our bell a little bit. So from an intelligent, inspiring conversation this week to pure idiocy next week. Love it. Let's yeah. do it, man. Let's throw some punches. Abraham Supernova, uh, who is from the Albany area, we will, uh, we're working our way to, to catch up in the gym with him, uh, work the bag a little bit, yeah. work mints, and maybe he'll teach us a thing or two. That's, that's
1: what I'm looking forward to. I want to get punched by somebody – who can really throw a punch. Because let's face it. We we want to be able to say we did things. We'll never be able to say we ran across the country. No. Okay. But if Supernova goes on to become a champion in his division, which he very well could, right? At his weight class, he could get a title fight and win it. If we could sit there at that point and say, hey, that guy punched me.
0: Now that's saying something. <laughs> It's saying something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's saying something. I'm not sure how much, but it's saying something. <laughs> hey, Bags, enjoy the holiday weekend, man. Everybody be safe. Uh, we're back next week with uh, with a little bit of fun with uh, Abraham Supernova. You know where to find us right here on Facebook. Also Twitter. I'm on Instagram at Chris Honorado, And, of course, our YouTube channel as well. Bags, enjoy the weekend, brother. You too. Stay safe, everybody. Don't uh, blow up
1: yourselves with fireworks. Unless you're really stupid. Then maybe go ahead and we'll just get rid of you.
0: Yeah, always good advice. Okay. See everyone. Happy fourth.